Hello, it's AJ, and welcome to another episode of the D Plus Club, where I bring you the latest news and rumours from the last week in Disney Plus, and I cover what's new and coming soon to the streaming service in the UK and in the US. We also have a weekly movie club where I give you an overview of the movie along with some interesting facts and possible goofs. In last week's episode, I spoke about Disney's Hercules, if you'd like to go back and listen to that episode. This week, we'll be discussing 1986's Flight of the Navigator. Personally, I actually think that this is one of the movies that maybe started me with my love of science fiction. I've loved going back to watch it again for what feels like the 20th time or more. But I'll get to that a little bit later in the show. How's everyone doing this week? It's been a very busy week for me. Um, we moved offices finally this last week at work. We've been attempting to do this for what feels like months. We've been waiting for all the legal paperwork to go through. So finally moved into the office and hopefully we'll be able to get the new studio set up soon. So I'm really looking forward to that. But this last few days of the week seem to have dragged. Um, it's my son's birthday on Sunday, which is the 18th. So it's tomorrow for me, or depending on when you're listening to this, it may even be today. Um, he's going to get spoiled. We usually have a day out for his birthday and we go to like a play area that he loves to go to and just, just generally spoil him. But of course, with everything that's going on in the world at the moment, we're going to do uh, as much as possible on the day. And he's just going to get spoiled as much as physically possible, let's say. So uh, hopefully he has a very good day. Anyway, like I say, I hope everyone's doing well. Let me know how you've been this last week over on social media at, at or forward slash the D plus club. But enough of my ramblings, let's get into the news and rumours for this past week. Well, there's been quite a bit of news and rumours this past week, actually, along with announcements of some series and films that are currently in production or going into production soon. So rather than pulling absolutely everything out and reading through a very lengthy list of things, I will pull out some of the more notable stories instead. Early this past week, we're treated to a sneaky behind-the-scenes picture of an upcoming Star Wars project, which is thought to be from the upcoming Rogue One prequel series Andor. The sneaky behind-the-scenes photo was taken at Canary Wharf Station in London and shows Imperial uniforms similar to those seen in Rogue One. Filming for Andor did previously begin in November of 2020, however it was shut down due to the UK's national lockdown, which we're only just starting to come out of, and it appears that the movie industry in the UK is also reopening along with many of the stores. Um, Canary Wharf was actually a filming location for Rogue One, so that's what's making people think that this could be for the Andor series. Andor is actually due to be released sometime, I believe, in 2022. Yeah, I think if they're filming now, it's more than likely due to be releasing sometime in 2022. Sticking with the Star Wars news, though, it's rumoured that the animated shorts Star Wars Detours could be joining the Star Wars Vintage Collection as early as this May 4th. Detours was produced in 2012, however, never saw the light of day and was cancelled following the acquisition of the franchise by Disney. According to reports, over 60 episodes were actually scripted and 46-minute episodes, comprising of roughly around two seasons, I believe, from what I've read, um, were actually produced. Featuring voices from the original cast members Anthony Daniels as C-3PO and Ahmed Best as Jar Jar Binks as their characters go about their daily lives between the films Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. We'll keep an eye out for this one, which will hopefully be coming within the next few weeks. Earlier this past week, Hulu released a trailer for the upcoming original series, Exposure. The six-episode series features contestants competing for a chance of a once-in-a-lifetime photography job. 
The diverse cast of six photographers will use the Samsung Galaxy S21 Ultra 5G to showcase its camera technology in new ways. Each episode will feature two unique challenges for the contestants as they compete to win a prize valued at a quarter of a million dollars provided by Samsung. Personally, I think that this could be a really interesting series. After all, the best camera is really the one you carry with you so you can get as many photos as you can. It can be surprising the quality of photos that you can, can that you can capture from your phone, and you can often capture quite some unique shots. I'd have loved to have seen this done with a range of different phones, actually, from a variety of different manufacturers. But with Samsung sponsoring the series, I guess it's, I guess it's one of those use what we give you sort of thing and promote our brand. The series will debut on Hulu on April 26th and is expected to make its way to Disney Plus elsewhere in the world. However, there is yet to be any confirmation of that from Disney. Early this past week, it was also announced that Joe Cornish has signed on to direct the 20th Century Studios film Starlight, based on the comic book series of the same name. Starlight centres around the story of Duke McQueen, who 40 years ago saved an alien world from destruction. But back on Earth, no one really believed him. Now, 40 years on, his wife has passed away, and his kids have grown up, and he feels like he has little to offer the world. Until one day, a boy from the world he saved appears to convince Duke to go on one last adventure. Actually, this sounds like a really interesting story. It actually makes me want to pick up the comic book series. Supposedly, the comic was actually made by Mark Miller, I think his name is, who produced the Kingsman comic series as well, and I really enjoyed those films too. So I might actually see if I can pick up those comics on Amazon if they've got them available, but uh, I will let you know on that one, and uh, I'll be looking forward to seeing this one come about. Also this past week, Disney confirmed that they are working with the former England football, or should I have seen soccer for the Americans listening, anyway, the former England football player David Beckham to produce a series named Save Our Squad. The series will see Beckham and his team work with an East London squad and their community on a transformative journey of a lifetime. No further details, including a launch date, have yet to be released by Disney. However, we'll be keeping an eye on this one for any further news. Another interesting one, it's been announced that the National Geographic series Race to the Centre of the Earth will make its debut on Disney+, Plus, at least in the US, on May 14th. The series is focused on four teams of three as they race across the globe to compete for $1 million. It actually sounds like a truly global adventure and I'm looking forward to giving that one a go if it comes over to the UK. After the She-Hulk casting announcement last week, it was announced that filming has now begun for the series in Georgia. We'll hopefully get some sneaky behind-the-scenes set pictures from that one too. This past week, it was also announced that McKenna Grace and Lexi Underwood will be joining the Disney Plus original series Just Beyond, which is based on the popular teen horror novels. Each of the actresses will lead their own respective episodes of the series, and each episode of the eight-episode series will introduce us to a new cast of characters who go on a surprising journey of self-discovery in a supernatural world of witches, aliens, ghosts, and parallel universes. Am I reading that right? That sounds interesting. actually sounds much like the Apple TV Plus series, The Amazing Stories. However, that's aimed at a more adult audience, let's say. Not much else is known about the series, including the release date. However, filming is supposed to be currently underway. This past week, Disney also released some details and a trailer for Launchpad, the upcoming series of independent short films, which will launch on May 28th. 
Each filmmaker was selected from over 1,100 applicants to share their unique visions with audiences around the world. The filmmakers were also paired with executive mentors from each of the Walt Disney Studios companies, including Disney+, Disney Animation, Pixar, Lucasfilm, Marvel, and more. The series of short films is themed around the theme Discover, and a second season of submissions will open next month on May 10th, I think I remember rightly, based around the theme of Connection. More about this can be found on the website, which is launchpad.disney.com. That's easy enough. The first season of films will be titled American Eid, about a Muslim Pakistani immigrant, Amina, who wakes up in a new home on Eid to find out she must go to school. And she goes on a mission to make Eid a public holiday, whilst also reconnecting with her sister. Another is Dinner is Served, which is about a Chinese student at an elite US boarding school who realises excellence is not always enough when he applies for a leadership position that no international student has ever held. Growing Fangs is centred around a Mexican-American teen who is half human and half vampire, who has to keep her secret identity from both worlds. This becomes more difficult when her human best friend shows up at her monster-infested school and she must confront her truth identity and thus herself the last of the chupacabras i'm probably saying that wrong is based on a world where one lone mexican-american is struggling to keep her culture and traditions alive however in doing so she unknowingly summons a dark ancient creature to protect her that one sounds interesting let's be tigers tells the story of avalon who is struggling with the loss of her mother when she is put in charge of a four-year-old for a night and finds more comfort in that than she could have ever expected. And Little Prince S is the story of a seven-year-old Chinese boy, Gabriel, who loves ballet and becomes friends with another Chinese boy named Rob. However, when Rob's father becomes suspicious about Gabriel's feminine behaviour, he decides to intervene. So is anyone else interested in some of these films that should be coming soon to Disney+. Plus? Some of them aren't really my cup of tea, but a couple of them do sound interesting. I might actually give them a go. Anyway, moving on. Following the success of the series High School Musical, The Musical, The Series, I swear that's going to trip me up one of these days, and with the release of the second season due to debut soon, it's been announced that a new tie-in novel titled Road Trip is in the works. It'll be interesting to see how this series translates into book form. Would you think this would interest you? It's not really for me, but I know how it could appeal to some other people. A Disney Plus star British comedy series called Extraordinary is in the works, which is centred around a woman called Jen, who lives in a world where everyone has a superpower. Everyone except her, that is. The series will consist of eight 25-minute episodes, and no release date has yet been set for that one. Another British star original series called Culprits is in the works, which tells the story of what happens to a criminal crew after a heist, and they all go their separate ways. However, in this case, they're being hunted down by a single killer, one by one. Again, this one does not yet have a release date. However, the series is set to consist of eight 45-minute episodes. A third British series is also in development called Battle of Renegade Nell, The period series will reportedly centre around Nell Jackson, who is forced into a life of highway robbery after being framed for murder, aided by her two orphan sisters and a prickly little sprite called Billy Blind. She soon realises fate has placed her on the wrong side of the law for a reason, 
a reason that is much larger than could she could have ever imagined, up to Queen Anne and beyond to the power struggle across Europe. Again, no release date has been confirmed as of yet for this one, and this series is also set to feature eight 45-minute episodes. What do you think of these British series that are currently in development? I actually really like the sound of the series Extraordinary. That one especially sounds really interesting to me. In Marvel news, there have been some rumours this past week that Disney are in early development on a Wolverine TV series that will explore much of his early life rather than his life with the X-Men. Wolverine was reportedly born sometime in the 1800s, however, reports in the comics vary as to his actual age. In the recent Logan film, it's reported that Logan is, I think it's 197 years old. I had to do a little bit of research on this, and so I'm not too sure on that. But that means there's approximately 200 years of history to produce stories from. I think a series like this could be really popular and really, really interesting. But the big question remains on that one. Who do they get to fill the role of Logan? Hugh Jackman did an absolutely brilliant job. Also this last week, Keenan Thompson, who is starring in the new Home Alone adaptation, revealed that production on the project is nearing its final stages before its post-production. Keenan stated that he'd recently be doing ADR work for the project. ADR is audio re-recording of, uh, that they do in films to clean up audio. So I wonder when we'll be seeing that one come to us. It's also been announced this past week that Mads Mikkelsen, I'm probably saying that wrong, will join Harrison Ford and Phoebe Waller-Bridge for the upcoming Indiana Jones 5 movie. Filming is scheduled to start in the next few months on that, actually. And Mickelson previously starred in Marvel's Doctor Strange and Star Wars Rogue One. Phoebe also starred in Star Wars Project, actually. She provided the voice for L3 in the solo film. Finally, in the awards news, both Nomadland and Soul won awards at the BAFTAs this past week. Soul won the award for Best Animated Film and Best Original Score, while Nomadland picked up the awards for Best Film, Best Cinematography, Best Director and Best Leading Actress. I'm really starting to think that all of these awards mean I have to watch Nomadland, regardless of whether I think it sounds like a good film or not. But uh, it, no, it does sound like an interesting project, so it's, it's probably going to be one that I'll end up watching at some point. Well, that's it for the news. Like I said, it's not everything. I've intentionally left some things out, especially some series that have release dates coming in the next few weeks, so I can talk more about them in another episode. However, speaking about things that are coming soon, what do we have to look forward to this coming week on Disney Plus? This past week of Source, we were treated to new episodes of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Mighty Ducks Game Changers, and the season premiere of Big Shot. It was a long night of TV for me last night, I can say that much. Me and my wife actually thoroughly enjoyed the first episode of Big Shot, and I have a feeling we'll really enjoy the rest of the series too. I look forward to seeing how Coach Corn and his team and the rest of the characters develop over the rest of the series. We also watched the fifth, fifth episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier last night, and I'm absolutely loving this series. I've really enjoyed seeing the character development of both Bucky and Sam, and even Zemo. The, the Zemo character has been a really interesting one to follow through. Of course, it's also been great to see the character development of characters such as John Walker. It'll be interesting to see how his character will appear in the final episode of the series and if he will appear in future MCU projects. I'm attempting to tiptoe around spoilers for those who haven't seen it yet, but there's a brilliant fight scene in episode 5 that I feel really pushes the story forward into this final episode which will air this coming Friday. 
going into the final episode, there are still some big questions left unanswered, so I hope we'll receive a payoff on those ones when it airs this coming Friday. As well as that final episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, we'll also get new episodes of Big Shot and the Mighty Ducks Game Changers on both sides of the pond. However, before that, on Earth Day, Thursday 22nd, we'll see the release of Disney and National Geographic's Secrets of the Whales, which we've spoken about a few times over the past few weeks. It is produced by director James Cameron and is narrated by the brilliant Sigourney Weaver. On Friday in the US, you will also see season three of Disney Junior's Puppy Dog Pals, seasons one through four of Live and Maddie, My Music Story featuring Tsukima Switch. I'm still, I still think I'm going to pronounce that wrong every time I say it. I did speak about that one the other week, though. You'll also see the movie Baby's Day Out. I actually loved that one when I was a kid. I haven't watched it in years. Maybe that's another one that I want to go back and watch at some point. And you'll also see the documentary Being the Queen, which chronicles the life of Queen Elizabeth II using never-before-seen interviews as well as recordings from those who know her best. Of course, this comes quite timely following the death of her husband, Prince Philip, who recently passed away and actually had his funeral on uh, Saturday the 17th of April, actually the day that I'm recording this. Over in the UK, we'll see new episodes of Dollface, Solar Opposites, Filthy Rich, and Next. And we'll also see the addition of Genius Seasons 1 and 2, which tells the story of some of history's greatest minds. We'll also see Miss Pedigree's Home for Peculiar Children, which was added to the US service only a few weeks back. And we'll also be given access to Absolutely Fabulous, the movie, which is the sequel to the British sitcom of the same name from the mid-90s and 2000s. Well, that's it for what's new and coming soon this next week on Disney+. Plus. Is there anything that you're looking forward to watching from what I've announced? If there is, let me know over in the Sorcerer Radio Discord or Sorcerer Radio Disney Fun Zone or also on social media at at or forward slash the D plus club. But now it's time for this week's weekly movie club. As I said earlier, this past week's movie has been 1986's Flight of the Navigator. First of all, I did actually want to apologise to the 20% of you who are actually UK listeners of the show. I didn't realise until I actually announced it when I was recording last week that Flight of the Navigator is not actually on Disney Plus in the UK currently. However, it is available on Amazon Prime Video, so hopefully you've been able to watch it there if you have access to Amazon streaming platform also. It must be a licensing restriction thing. Personally, I own this movie on iTunes, so I've been able to watch it over there earlier in the week. So again, sorry about that, and I'll try to make sure that that doesn't happen again. But without any further delay, let's get into the movie. As with previous weeks, this is your spoiler warning for Flight of the Navigator. If you've not yet seen it and don't want to be spoiled, then I suggest you pause the show now, go and watch the film, and then pick up the podcast again afterwards. That way you don't get to miss anything. So with the spoiler warning out of the way, let's dive right into things. Flight of the Navigator was actually released on August 1st of 1986. That's actually one month before the date of my birth, actually. I was born on the 1st of September 1986. It had a budget of around $9 million, but raised only just double that in the box office. The movie's central human character is that of 12-year-old David Freeman. On 4th of July 1978, after a family day out, David's brother Jeff stops to play with some friends near the family's home in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Jeff is the typical younger brother winding up his older brother and causing arguments over anything and nothing at the same time. Later in the day, David's mother asks David to walk through the local woods to meet the eight-year-old 
on his return home from his friends. Just goes to show you how times have changed over the years. I'm not sure about you, but I can't imagine letting my son at eight years old walk alone through a dark woods for more than half a mile. It's, it's just not the kind of thing that I would allow. Anyway, through the start of the film, there are a few scenes such as frisbees being thrown and blimps and water towers, such the one seen in the wooded area that are intentionally filmed to give the impression of a UFO nearby. David continues through the woods until he hears noises that he does not recognise and causes him to call out for his younger brother, who jumps out at him and frightens him in the process, and his brother then goes running off home without, without David. After this, the family's dog can be heard barking into a ravine nearby. David goes to investigate, however, falls into the ravine and is knocked unconscious. There's a very obvious camera cut at this time, and David wakes up and climbs out of the ravine, to head home without the family's dog or his brother. However, when he returns home, his family are not living there, and there's an older couple living there instead. David is obviously upset, and he searches the home asking for his parents, before ultimately collapsing on the stairs in tears. David is taken to a local police station, where the police attempt to uncover what has happened to David, and this is when an officer discovers an eight-year-old missing persons report describing David exactly as he sits right there in the police station. This reveal in the film shocks the audience, who up until now are just as confused as David, and we, the audience, now understand that eight years have passed since David fell into the ravine. In an attempt to ensure they have the correct child, of course, as, after all, he doesn't appear to have aged a day in the last eight years, they take David to his parents' new home, and he runs out to see them once he spots his father, who is noticeably aged. Following the confirmation that this is in fact David, he is taken to a local hospital to have some tests run to make sure he is okay and try to understand why and how he has not aged. This is when we are reintroduced to David's younger brother, Jeff. Jeff is of course now 16 and older than his older brother, if that makes any sense at all, and he has matured in his general attitude towards David and life in general. Jeff is also notably apologetic towards David for scaring him in the woods eight years earlier, and he also appears to blame himself for David's absence. During some routine psychological tests at the hospital, David is asked to recount the memories of the night he disappeared. Unknowingly, as David is asked questions, he is transmitting information about a spacecraft to computer screens nearby. Meanwhile, a spacecraft of unknown origin is found nearby, having crashed into some power lines. NASA is promptly notified and arrive to find it floating unaided and easily movable. They manage to transport the ship to a controlled NASA facility to run tests on the craft. However, are unable to get into the craft as it possesses no seams and is made from an unknown material. At this time, they receive a fax of the ship produced from David's psychological tests. NASA contact David's family to attempt to convince them to study David to find answers to where he has been and find out more information about the ship. David and his family agree to let NASA conduct 48 hours of tests in an attempt to gain further answers to his lost time. Here, David meets Carolyn, a NASA intern, and her robotic assistant, Ralph. During the first round of tests, Dr. Faraday of NASA is able to communicate with David through his subconscious link to the NASA computer system, finding out that he has travelled to a distant planet called Phalon, 560 light-years away. Not only this, but according to David's subconscious link to the computer system, 
He was only gone a total of 2.2 hours. This is because of the effects caused by extreme time dilation. The faster an object moves to or past the speed of light, the slower time passes for that object. So even though David travelled for 2.2 hours, because he travelled faster than the speed of light, or I believe it is just close enough to the speed of light, I think I remember reading somewhere that it's 9.9999 recurring to the speed of light. Anyway, because he travelled that fast, time moved much slower for him than the rest of the world. Anyway, enough of the techno jargon, I'll get back into it. Obviously shaken with all of the information he's hearing and the apparent lack of care from Dr. Faraday, David flees the room. The following morning, David discovers he also has some kind of telepathic communication with the ship. He convinces Carolyn to contact his parents to tell them what's going on after discovering NASA plans to keep him there for longer than the agreed 48 hours. Following communicating with the ship, he's able to sneak into the ship's holding facility with the assistance of Ralph and board the ship. The ship introduces itself as a Tramaxian drone ship, which David shortens to Max, for obvious reasons, and Max refers to David as the Navigator. The two manage to escape the facility following some miscommunication with each other as where they should escape to. David says to go 20 miles, and the ship thinks 20 miles in any direction, so he goes straight up, where David actually wanted to go 20 miles in a forward direction, so... They eventually get where they needed to go, though. Max explains to David why he was taken and Max's mission to collect biological specimens for testing on Phalon, and then return them to their home planet at the time and place where they were taken. During the tests on David on Phalon, the Phalons discovered that humans only used 10% of their brains, and they filled his mind with a copy of miscellaneous information from Max's systems to see if his brain could handle it. This includes star charts and ship's information. However, it was also discovered at this time that time travel could be dangerous to humans, and when Max returns David to Earth, he does not return him back to his original time. Following Max returning David, Max crashed into the power lines, corrupting many of his onboard systems, including the star charts that David holds in his memory. Max must extract this information from David to allow him and the other specimens he carries to return home. Whilst Max prepares the ship for the information transfer of David's memories, he meets some of the other specimens that Max carries, including a harmless creature called a Pukmaran, who Max is unable to return home due to his planet having been destroyed by a comet, and David is allowed to hold and bond with the creature. After a successful mind transfer, Max develops some human traits from David, after also copying some of David's memories. It's also not confirmed if David still retains the information from Max, however he is able to easily fly the ship after an emotional outburst from Max, so I'd say that he probably does. The UFO is then spotted in multiple places around the world, after Max and David travel to return him back home to his parents. On their way, they stop off at a gas station, where David borrows some money from a gas station owner. He speaks to his brother, who agrees to help David find his way to the family's new home. During this scene, a family arrive for fuel and believe the ship to be a tourist attraction and pose for photos with it until David gets back into the craft and they fly away. With the help of Jeff and some fireworks, they navigate back to the family's home. However, David is reluctant to return to his family, seeing police and NASA stationed at the family home. Fearing he'll be institutionalised for the rest of his life, David apologises to his family 
and returns to the ship. He tells Max he would rather risk travelling through time than be locked away for the rest of his life. Max takes David through what I can only describe as a time vortex. David awakens in the ravine he was taken from. He makes his way home to discover his family just how he remembers them. He boards the boat and they go to watch some 4th of July fireworks where he hugs his family, including his brother. Upon seeing the movement in his bag, David reveals the stowaway Pukmaran to his brother, who gawks in amazement. The family then watch fireworks as a streak of light passes overhead, and you hear the laugh of Max as he says, See you later, Navigator. And that's where the film closes. Flight of the Navigator actually had issues early on in its development when Disney were unable to approve it. It was shopped out to Producers Sales Organization, also known as PSO, who agreed to fund two-thirds of the film, and the other third of the film came from a Norwegian company called Viking Film, and after raising the money necessary, they were able to be greenlit for production. The Walt Disney Company then ultimately picked up all of the distribution rights for the film as well, so it did come full circle. Flight of the Navigator would ultimately actually become PSO's final production before filing for bankruptcy in 1986. They were also known for films such as Matilda and Short Circuit. The film is notable in the movie industry as one of the first to use extensive hybrid CGI and real-world cinematography, especially as it's one of the first to use a method known as image-based lighting and morphing. The film was also known for being one of the first to have a score produced via a digital synthesizer. Even though the film was actually set in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, filming also took place in Norway. The cast of the film included mostly relatively unknown actors at the time. However, some of the most notable ones include Paul Rubens as Max. Rubens is most notably remembered for his iconic role as Pee Wee Herman throughout the 1980s. However, Ruben was actually credited in the movie as Paul Mall, which actually led to a bit of a mystery about who the voice actor really was at the time. Also notable in the film is a very young Sarah Jessica Parker, who portrays NASA intern Carolyn McAdams. Parker was actually only in her 20s when this was released, so I hardly recognised it compared to a more modern photo. The main character of David was played by a relatively unknown actor at the time, Joey Kramer. Kramer has since gone on to lead what in my opinion is a troubled life, with arrests for careless storage of a gun, possession of narcotics, consumption of alcohol in a public place, threatening behaviour with a weapon, until ultimately in 2016 he was arrested and pleaded guilty to charges of bank robbery, wearing a disguise to commit a crime, fleeing the police and dangerous driving. An independent docufilm was released about Kramer's life and Flight of the Navigator called Life After the Navigator, which is actually available to purchase on Amazon. In the gas station scene, near the end of the movie, a girl can be seen wearing an Epcot Center t-shirt from Walt Disney World. Speaking of Walt Disney World as well, one of the prop ships from the movie used to be stored at the Backlot Tour attraction at Disney's Hollywood Studios. In fact, actually at one time, there were two prop ships stored there, this was until sometime in, I think from the research I was doing on this, 1994, when Tomorrowland over in the Magic Kingdom underwent some refurbishment. At that time, they converted one of the two ships into a different kind of spacecraft for what is now the cool ship over in Tomorrowland. You can actually easily spot that ship. It is a red ship which says Thirst Rangers on the side of it. 
you can tell it's one of the two ships as it has some distinct ridges in the design across one well across both sides it's also been said that the movie was not originally meant to be set in florida however weather conditions at the time of shooting moved production from california to florida one of the funniest scenes I actually find in the film is the gas station scene. As David and Max take off from the gas station, the owner, Al, I think his name is, turns to a tourist and says, he just wanted to call home. And this is clearly a reference to Universal's 1982 film, E.T., which was directed by Steven Spielberg. There are actually a few goofs that you can see throughout the film, including changing hairstyles, changing backgrounds and more. Uh, for example, there's one shot where there's a raised bridge in the background and its position can be seen like drastically altering between different shots as you can see where different takes were made. And towards the end of the film, there's a section where David is on the ship and you can see his hair will change and even his facial shape may change ever so slightly between takes as those were actually part of some reshoots that were done months later. And also there's a scene in the 1978 section at the beginning of the film that features a music track that actually wasn't released until the following year as well. Of course, this is all in addition to times where you can see filming equipment and reflections. I mean, the, the ship that David is on is one giant reflective surface, especially the Max robotic arm. You can usually see a lot of uh, reflections of crew and equipment in those reflections in those scenes. Um, and also there's multiple shots of the Pukmarin little bat-like creature that david has where you can see the control wires that the uh, crew used to move the creature around as well well that's kind of it for all of the information that i have for the film this week but what did you think about the film as always i asked over in the sorcerer radio discord and in the sorcerer radio disney fun zone for your thoughts on the film throughout the week as you got a chance to watch it and this is what some of you had to say both Bucky and Purple Frogs both pointed out the ship that is currently at Magic Kingdom. Bucky said that it's one of his all-time favourite movies and still has it somewhere in a box on VHS. I wonder if he also has something that can play it, though. I wonder if you can uh, reach out to me and tell me whether you do. Brandon said that it was interesting. He expected it would have something to do with space travel, but did not expect the time travel aspect of it as well. He found it a very interesting movie. Well, that's it for another weekly movie club. Next week, we'll be returning to the MCU with the film Iron Man 2 from 2010. Of course, if you're following along with the MCU films as we get to them, this will also be your opportunity to watch The Incredible Hulk if you haven't done so before now, which is available to purchase on home media and digital. So head over to the Sorcerer Radio Discord at srsounds.com forward slash discord and look for the weekly movie club room to leave your comments. You also can find me on social media at at or forward slash the D plus club. Thank you very much for tuning in again this week. And I hope that you can tune in next week. Have a great one, everyone. Bye bye.